Welcome to Parenthood Pals. I'm Caleb Hoyer. And I'm Melissa Fight Johnson. With us today is one of my best friends on the planet. You've had her here before. You know her. Her name's Juliet Schraub. Welcome and back. And you love her. You love her. Yay! So Hi, happy Juliet. to be back. Yay! You have to love her. I insist. No. <laughs> we were just talking about how Juliet makes me laugh harder than anyone, so I think I'm already in a silly mode. But anyway. <laughs> I love it. I didn't even have to say anything, and she's like dying over there. I don't know what's yeah. happening. But um, she's incomprehensible. <laughs> uh, Juliet uh, was with us last season for the Halloween episode, Orange Alert, season two, episode six, because Orange, you glad <laughs> that she's back with us now? <laughs> oh, <laughs> Juliet loved Halloween. And so it was like so great to discuss, you know, that episode. I'm just now realizing season three doesn't have a Halloween episode. All those Braverman traditions didn't exist in season one or three. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But now she's back for this delightful episode and we just couldn't be happier. It's been a long time. What the hell have you been up to in all that time? Pretty much the same things I'm usually up to. But now that we have vaccines and it's summer, it's also just been a time of like reunion and reconnection with people and like being outside. And I I made my... My husband, I was like, we're going to plan things to do this summer so that we're not just like sitting at home, like playing video games, watching Parenthood, (laughs) watching Parenthood, (laughs) recording Parenthood Pals. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I watched the whole show, you know, so now I just listen to you guys and I actually sometimes forget and call the show Parenthood Pals. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) we win. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. I'm like, we're going the summer of enrichment and reconnection. That's so, nice. Yes. That's yeah, good. That's my goal. We're so happy to have you back to talk about Parenthood, Season 3, Episode 9, Sword Loser. It was written by Bridget Carpenter, directed by Lawrence Trilling. It originally aired on November 15th, 2011. And here's the NBC synop. During an intense game of Braverman charades, Joel and Julia come to the realization they may have spoiled Sydney. Meanwhile, Adam and Crosby celebrate a new client at the luncheonette, and Adam experiences an awkward moment with Rachel. Also, Christina is concerned about Max's new friends at school, and Drew reaps the consequences of disobeying Sarah's rules. I love that the synopsis calls it Braverman charades, because in my mind, all the clues are about Bravermans. So it's like, okay, here, you need to enact the fever. You know, (laughs) I like that. But let's start with the charades. Okay. I thought... (laughs) A charades game night felt maybe a little too wholesome. And I come from a family, an extended family especially, that always plays games. I would feel really cheated if I went to a family gathering and we didn't play a game of some sort. But we don't plan what the game will be ahead of time. We just all get together and it's like, let's play something. And then you decide. It's not like, come over tonight for pitch or i don't know i i bought it i thought it was cute that they all had little bandanas for the like their teams i mean they, it was a serious thing yeah that was a nice little hint to the intensity of the, <laughs> the competition like yeah. oh no we're the bandana red team you know yeah and juliet you love games as well i do do you play charades i will <laughs> if someone will play with me <laughs> if someone says let's play charades i'm there i'll play some charades that sounds good 
Well, as a treat for our listeners, we are going to play a game of charades right now. Oh are we really? What? No, I'm making a joke because can you imagine any excited. worse game on a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing it right now. All right, Melissa's making a film motion. <laughs> we just audio described. It's charades with audio commentary. That works. <laughs> well, Amber guessing Joel's clue correctly made me want a Joel Amber storyline. <laughs> like, I love them. They're never together. No, ever. It's true. I wish they were. Yeah, Batica to Gattaca. That was impressive. That was good. Yeah. Well, the real event of charades was Sydney's <laughs> failure. <laughs> To get them to guess. It's the Lion King. Oh, jeez. Oh, that was okay. a really good try. Well, next time. Yeah, so sit, so sit down. We'll have another time. What? 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 You can't what? Eat. I didn't even talk. What? Yeah, you did talk. What? That is so not fair. It's okay, Sid. You just wanted to talk, but no, next time. There are rules to the game, and you didn't play by the rules. Next time. It's okay. Just a game. Well, I'm going to play stupid charades, and I never want to play another Pramlin family game again. <laughs> she did such a good job with that. I, I continue to be so impressed by Savannah Page Ray's acting. The whole episode, I'm like, this is legit excellent acting. Like, it was very good. Yeah, I was totally buying it. I was like, yep, yep, that tracks. <laughs> I love a dramatically shouted, ever. <laughs> it made me think of two things. One was Monica on Friends saying... <laughs> <laughs> and the other was this promo for E in which Lisa Kudrow reenacted a scene from Mommy Dearest. No wire hangers ever! <laughs> oh my gosh. You do Such like dramatic drama. ever. Yeah. I wanted a third one because, you know, comedy, rule of threes, but I couldn't think of one. Here's one. Ever! Okay, I'm done. That was just me. <laughs> <laughs> just you. Oh my God. <laughs> It was the funniest one of all. I do think playing games with kids can be rough, and I'm not always very patient with them. I'm like, why are they here? Like they don't even know how to do it yet. But if you want them to grow up wanting to be a part of it, I think you have to be patient with them and include them. I did wonder, though, like I thought Savannah Page Ray was great in this scene, I didn't think she was so great in the Candyland scene. Oh, man. I thought she was really good. Which was super intense. Like, when she's like, that's not fair, Daddy. You cheated. It seemed like she was standing there waiting to say her line for a while. Oh. Instead of, like, not to criticize a child's acting, but it kind of made me wonder, in the grand scheme of the series, I hope this isn't a spoiler, but I feel like a lot of people find Sydney to be a spoiled brat and obnoxious. And... Thus far in the series, I have not found that to be true at all. I'm just constantly impressed with how amazing she is and like mature for her age in lots of ways. But I did wonder, is this the beginning of the end of Sydney? <laughs> Does she start being more spoiled from here on out? In a, Maybe this isn't a good question. Well, I was just going to say, in a podcast <laughs> where we're devoted to no spoilers, hard to say. But maybe, <laughs> but maybe it's good to like keep an eye out as we as we go, like to ponder that. Yeah, yeah. I do remember her being kind of bratty and spoiled, but I don't know when that started. Like, I don't yeah. know. I do feel like in this scene, like they, 
I don't know. This is might just be like too much, but sometimes I'm kind of like, maybe they could have prepped her if she's never lost before. If she's, if she's never played the game before, like maybe they could have given her, it's like a pretty intense situation maybe to throw a kid into that doesn't know how to do the game. And in this kind of game, it's like all eyes are on her. There's, exactly. Yeah. It's a lot of pressure. Yeah. Well, what did you think of Zeke's diagnosis of the problem? Let's just cut to the chase. You know, you two are coddling my granddaughter. You know uh, that? Really? Yeah, 100%. Dad, this is why you ran all the way over here. Yeah, I ran all the way over here to tell you that Sydney is a sore loser. Because of the charades and... Caught. Sydney does not know how to lose. If she doesn't learn how to lose, then she's not going to learn about real life. You just caught her. she's got plenty of time to learn about real life. Mm -hmm. Now she's a kid, so maybe... She thinks that it's her birthright to win. You coddle, 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 and what do you get? That little girl's got to learn how to lose. We've let her lose, and we've let her win, and when she wins, it's to boost her confidence and to help her learn the game. She doesn't need confidence, honey. She needs humility. Okay. Food for thought. Thank you. And we will consider it. Right? Oh, yeah. I mean, he's right. I think like his diagnosis is right. I do think it's a little extreme to run, literally run over to their house (laughs) the very next day. And I also think his delivery is often really abrasive. You know, if, if that were my parent telling me how to parent, I would really not want to listen, even if I suspected they were right. You know, so like the way he says it would make me get very defensive, which is what Julie and Joel do in that scene. They, you know, they get defensive and explain, even though it sinks in later, like, oh, I think he's right. In that moment, they're not really open to what he's saying. And maybe if he'd said, you guys, I was thinking a lot about last night and I found that troubling. Didn't you find that troubling? You know, I mean, just, but that's not Zeke. That's (laughs) what is also just a trip to hear this coming from him. I I feel like he's not a great loser. I mean, I guess we haven't really seen him compete a lot, but like in the football game, the rule was you can't touch him, you know? <laughs> and I get then he's like the papa of the family. He's sort of like outside the game almost. It just didn't seem, it felt like the pot calling the kettle black. Mm. Like she thinks it's her birthright to win. She needs to learn humility. It's like, yes. But coming from you, it's just very rich. <laughs> the very humble Zeke Braverman. What are you talking about? I thought, you know, Zeke was on the money, but yeah, like you're right. He was, but I feel like Joel and Julia just took it well. They're like, okay, you know, thanks for the input. Because yeah. he was really up in their face about it. Yeah. And they're like reminding him, like, we'll consider it. Like, where are the parents? We'll decide what to do with the information you just gave us. It's interesting that sometimes it does take an outside perspective to realize something. And maybe, you know, they would have just gone on and not really click or sink in that this was an issue and it's going to be an issue for her. And I'm like, there's so much more that she could learn by losing and that they are allowing her to lose than just always winning. Compassion, good sportsmanship, the reality of life in the world, yeah. you know? Yeah. perseverance yeah. yeah i thought it was telling that joel was the one to really reconsider what zeke said you know like like you said melissa they were defensive in the moment but joel was the one who started to think yeah he might have had a point and it to me it felt like yeah julia has like a braverman blinders on and i think i would say of the four braverman siblings 
if you ask me who's the worst loser, I'd probably say Julia. Yeah. And I don't yeah. really know what I'm basing that on. So I don't know if it's fair, but. Oh, when she wanted to teach Sydney how to swim and she showed up that way and like. Oh, you're. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and I did. I was definitely thinking when they said, have we ever let her lose? I definitely thought of when Sydney broke that vase and Julia was making a point of not cleaning it up until Sydney admitted to what she had done. And when Sydney did admit to it, she framed it as, all right, you win. I lose. Yeah. Oh, that's. So she definitely saw it as a competition of some sort and julia said it's not a competition it's not about who wins and loses she's like forget it you won where's the broom and then joel saying wow i can't think of who she reminds me of (laughs) to julia (laughs) yeah well you know what i found interesting about that is that usually julia is the one who reconsiders what they're doing because one of her parents has made a comment she's very influenced by her parents, even though she's usually so confident. I think I just mentioned that in a recent episode, noticing how often Julia does that. Joel is the one who's usually like, don't let your parents get in your head. We're right. We're doing the right thing by, you know, we can adopt whoever we want. We can, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But I thought in this case, I think the reason Joel reconsiders is Zeke is right. And I think often Zeke isn't right. He just says some comment to Julia that gets <laughs> Julia thinking and, and inside her head. But this time Zeke had a good point. And I think Joel is very reasonable and was able to recognize that. Joel's always the voice of reason. Yeah. He's and frankly, he spends a lot more time with Sydney than Julia does. Yeah, that's a good point. True. That Candyland scene was in Oh man. Yeah. I thought. Like, and it seems to me. Like maybe Sydney's issue is not even so much about losing as it is her temper or just self-control. And I may be splitting hairs, but when I hear sore loser, I immediately think of whining. But knocking over a bowl of popcorn or throwing the cards of the game in her dad's face and then hitting him. Yeah. I was like, this feels like kind of a separate issue. I mean, you can be upset about losing, but... To flip out like this is, I mean, clearly the losing is causing it, but. It seemed more intense than a sore loser. It's, yeah, it's it, like that, that's kind of yeah, like a cutesy. out of control. Yeah, she's like a raging loser. Like, I don't. <laughs> I have, I've definitely seen this though, like in kids yeah. and like her immediate, you were cheating. Yeah. Right? Like, this is not real in my world. I always win. So you were cheating. Yeah. And I see kids maybe my own (laughs) be like cheating. And I'm like, "Mm, no, that's not cheating. That's just how it goes sometimes, you know? Yeah. What do you think causes people to have such a reaction? I mean, obviously they frame it as we let her win her whole life and that's why this is happening. And, And maybe that is it, but is there anything deeper than that or beyond that? Like, like, like a feeling out of control or, you know, like it did feel to me like something serious was going on that it affected her this deeply. And I wondered what is it that is inside a person that makes them react so strongly to things that are not that big of a deal? I think they set her up for it. If they, if she's always one, then that's the false reality they've created around her and she has an attachment to winning instead of an attachment to the enjoyment of playing the game the Mm. attachment is to the enjoyment of winning always and maybe like what does winning mean to a person does it mean 
superiority to others? Does it mean specialness? You know what I mean? Like that's, that's what I wonder. Cause I, I used to be a pretty sore loser, I think, um, with games and I really had to kind of dig deep into why is that? I mean, I didn't like tip over the popcorn, but ever, <laughs> ever, 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 ever. <laughs> but I got like in a pretty bad mood and like with sort of, it would threaten to ruin an evening, you know, that was just meant to be fun. And it was like, why am I doing this? I even was old enough. I was not as young as Sydney, you know, I was old enough to recognize this is not okay. And I think it ultimately boils down to, I would feel sort of stupid. Like if I would lose a game, especially if it was a trivia game or, you know, something that had anything to do with intelligence. I think if I lost, I was afraid of how I seemed to people which is ironic because no one cares if you lose a game, but they do care if you're like super pouty and, <laughs> um, you know, but I, I wonder if there's something going on deep inside of her where she, she does have this need to be like special or important and losing a game now means she isn't as much or something. I don't know. I can relate to that. I was on a game show very recently what? and it was a trivia game show and I did not win. And I really took it hard in the moment, especially. And even now I'm like not going to tell anyone when it's airing or anything because I'm not really crazy about people seeing it. Even though I don't look back at any of the questions I was asked and like kick myself over them, I just didn't know the answers. There was no, I think I did my best that I could have at that moment in time. But I spiraled afterwards just thinking about everything in my life that wasn't going the way I wanted it to go and just feeling like a total failure. And it, I think it definitely was that feeling of like, I'm stupid and nothing will work. Ugh. I can't make Aww. anything work. And I thought of it because afterwards, me and one of the other contestants on this show were being driven back to the hotel. And he was kind of debriefing like after a sports game or something. And it made me realize, oh, this is a game that I'm so upset about. It is a game. It's not really all that consequential. I mean, I could have won money. That would have been consequential. But it's for fun. And Joel said that to Sydney during Candyland, and it made me think of that too, because he says, you know, honey, we're just playing a game here. Yeah. The way I remember kind of talking myself out of being a sore loser I remember like, it's so dumb. I'd be playing Scrabble with my family. I think that was it too. I was by far the youngest one. I wanted to like prove myself. And so I remember in the moment, I would have to think of things like, Melissa, five minutes after this game is over, it literally will not matter who has, who won. Like there's, there's nothing, you know, I would have to just like tell myself things like that, or I would have to stop planning my move in advance because I would get furious if someone would take it. So I'd be like, don't even look at the board until it's your turn. And then, you know, so I would just have to like coach myself, but Sydney's seven. So she has to be coached, I guess. Like it's, yeah, it's up to the parents to help her with this. And also her emotions are so big that that must be very out of control to to go from a pretty kind, sweet little kid to like raging the way she was. So, yeah. Well, I wonder, do you two think that locking her in a room and just waiting her out was the best strategy? I wonder what else they could have done. Like what would have been better if she was like raging and breaking, like they could be in the room with her, but I almost kind of think like she just needs to be by herself. If she can't have a conversation, you know, and she can't, 
calm herself down. I feel like it might only fuel the fire if she's able. I was actually even surprised that they like were like literally right outside of her door the whole time because then she knows she has somebody that she can still yell at who's still going to hear her. You know, I wonder if that didn't keep her in that state for a longer time. Hmm. That's something I remember with my parents on the rare occasions that any of us threw tantrums, which I don't even remember, but I'm sure they, they happened. I do remember they would send us to our rooms and their philosophy was, you can behave that way in your room if you want to, but no one wants to watch you behave like that. And the whole point was mm. depriving them of an audience. Mm. Yeah. You don't get a reaction from us. And But honestly, I think if it had gone on to the extent that Sydney was in this episode, I think it would have gotten me spanked. And I'm not necessarily saying that's the <laughs> right thing to do, but it was definitely, my parents did not spank as punishment. It wasn't like, you broke the neighbor's window with your baseball, lean over my knee and receive your punishment. That was not it. They said it was to stop behavior immediately, right then in the Like moment. to startle you, kind of? Yeah. Well, my, yeah. my dad, when I was older, he described it to me. He said, it needs to be sudden, certain, and severe. Mm. There needs to be no dread or anticipation. It needs to come out of nowhere. Certain, you need to know exactly why you're doing it. Not because you are mad. Not because uh, a thousand other reasons. It's like, oh, you're throwing a tantrum and I need you to stop throwing a tantrum right now. And then severe, it needs to shock them out of whatever they're doing. I don't know if they still believe this, but it makes a kind of sense to me. Like when she started kicking the door, I thought, open that door, grab her by the arm, swat her on the bottom and say, you will not kick the door. You need to shut the fuck up. I mean, I wouldn't say that, <laughs> but when I was watching, <laughs> when I was watching the show, I was just thinking like, you can't go on like this. What makes you think you have license to scream and yell and kick stuff for See, hours. What's interesting, I did watch this one with Mark and he didn't comment specifically on that, but I have talked with him before. You know, this will come up later in the episode. We are not parents, but we are teachers, right? Uh, which is, you know, something another Mark says <laughs> in this episode. <laughs> and obviously you can't spank someone who's not your own child, right? And Mark works with kids with behaviors. And so I think a lot of his job is waiting kids out. I, I know for a fact that he sets a lot of timers and he will just calmly ignore the behavior and like work on his own things or work with other students. When the timer rings, he'll check in. Are you, you know, okay? And, and you know, so I, I hope it's okay that I said that I don't think that's super personal or anything. Um, but I, I will say... I found it effective. Like, I, I do know that at the end of the episode, my initial thought was this was solved too easily. She plays the game with Zeke and she's pretty much fine. But Mark did make the comment. He's like, well, I think she's fine because of their actions. You know, he's like, I bought it. She can't throw a tantrum like that because she will <laughs> be put in a room overnight, you know, probably no yeah. dinner, you know, like that. And, and I thought it made sense. I mostly was just impressed at their parenting as far as, as a team. Cause I, I thought I couldn't quite remember. I was worried that the conflict of this episode was going to be Julia undermining Joel. Like he had set up this plan and then he needed a break rightfully. So, 
and was like, okay, it's your turn now. You you stay outside. I was worried she was going to like open the door and be like, it's okay, Sydney. So I was just very relieved That's that true. they were on the same page. I thought that was great. And when she, I, I don't know, I guess it was the next morning that she, they saw, they opened the door. I just loved the humor that they had. They were like, yeah. we killed her, you know? <laughs> and then they started laughing. They're like, let's check her on the bed. You know, <laughs> it was just, like the, well, when Joel said, we'll start, we'll get another baby. We'll start yeah. over. This one's a bust. And then I love Julia saying, that's not funny. And him going, it's kind of funny. <laughs> I loved it. They were so together in this. And yeah, it was, it was really sweet. And it was sort of like, I related. There are so many, I mean, okay, again, I don't have children, but there are so many times that one of my dogs will do something horrible, like just awful. They'll be like, biting the fence or something awful. I'm like, you come here right now. And I'm like angry at them and I pick them up and then I immediately kiss their face. I'm like, that'll (laughs) teach you, you know? And I'm glad they didn't do that. But I do get the idea of like love transcends anger or annoyance, you know, like she put them through the ringer. And the second they see her all splayed out like asleep, they're like, oh, I love her so much. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. And you know, you're right. You're right. It was pretty effective. And I I did like that Julia, we saw Julia kind of handle her behind the door more than Joel. I mean, it was very brief, both of them. But that Julia was saying, you know, if you calm your body down and if you get quiet, so clearly there was there were conditions under which she would communicate with Sydney and Sydney was just choosing not to meet them. Then then Sydney said I will not calm my body down and you can't make me and she said you're right only you can <laughs> do that. And I was like she's right that this Pro. all feels yeah it felt good and she stuck to her guns. Everything she said sounds like things I've heard Mark say, honestly. I was like, like, like your calm body. Like I've heard that phrase before. Yeah. Not spoken at me. <laughs> like when he's telling anecdotes. <laughs> Although yeah. that would probably work on me. <laughs> there are times I also I loved one of Sydney's when she goes, what is this, a baby dungeon? <laughs> so, I didn't was that, that what she said? I, was tr- <laughs> I couldn't catch what it was. <laughs> it wasn't oh, even funny. in the subtitles, at least on Hulu, but... That's I why I didn't catch what it. What is this, a baby dungeon? Oh my God. <laughs> that is great. I, I so love it. So dramatic. I, I found myself enjoying that storyline to a surprising degree. Like, I just thought, what an interesting dilemma. And and I again, it made it meant so much to me to see that Joel set something up and Julia appreciated it and like honored it. Cause I think sometimes she does take him for granted. Yeah. And I think, you know, he had a really hard day and I love that he said what he needed to. He was like, I'm going to go, <laughs> you know, maybe work out, maybe see a long movie, but I like that he passed yeah, her after off. being told, I hate you and you're the worst daddy ever. For- yeah. And being hit. <laughs> the whole by your- day. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. would be yeah. so hard. Stress. And thank goodness they decided to tackle this because that would only get worse. I mean, that's the first time they had her lose. That's what happened. Oh, my God. Yeah, they've and created you know, something. After Candyland, once she hit him, I would say his reaction, though it was not spanking, it was sudden, certain, and severe. Yeah. Because there was no time between when she hit him and when he hoisted her onto his shoulder and took her right upstairs. So yeah. I think the philosophy there was still kind of being employed, even yeah. though it wasn't physical in that sense. I loved at the end after the chess game, a little thing. And like, 
I don't know what else Zeke would say, but I loved that after she said good game, he immediately praised Sydney, and not for how well she took the loss, but for how well she played. And I thought that is a basic but very good lesson, which is that just because you lose doesn't mean you didn't play well. Right. And I was, especially on my second watch, they said earlier in the episode that she was seven. What seven-year-old knows how to play chess? Very impressive. Like, that's She's impressive. Gifted. Yeah, she is. And it's, I found it believable and yet impressive. Yeah. The fact that she's able to do that, she should be proud of herself. And especially the fact that she could play, it looked like, unaided Mm -hmm. by her parents. And, you know, we didn't see her saying, now, the knight can move. Which way? You know, it was, she appeared to know all the rules. Which is what I would have to say if I played. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Yeah. You should disconnect your performance from winning or losing. Even though I don't think winning and losing is immaterial, but it is in everything. Yeah, I liked that too. I thought Zeke, just his whole response was so positive. Yeah. And like, it it just made the whole experience, like you could tell she was not happy that she lost. (laughs) It was a a slow, almost begrudging, but she's like, but I know this is what I'm supposed to do. And she did it. And then everything was taken really well. And it was just, it still felt like a celebration. Like, hey, we played this awesome game and it was great, you know? Yeah. And it was nice. One of the most likable moments of the series so far, I feel like, for Zeke. I'm like, he wasn't like an annoying winner. Star grandpa. Yeah. He was so careful the way that he won. When, you know, when she was like, can I move here? And he was like, no, and he wasn't mean and he wasn't like, uh-uh, you know, he, I mean, because if he'd no gloat, yeah, you can't right. gloat if you're trying to teach someone to be gracious. A seven-year-old. So, right. True. In your face, Sydney, like that would not, <laughs> <laughs> that would not help. So it was, it was really lovely the way he did that. And how he set it up even before they started, he said, there's going to be a winner and a loser. And I, I think that's smart. It's uh, not going to yeah. be a surprise. I think he even asked like, are you going to be able to handle that or something like to that effect? Like, do you still yeah. want to do this? And so she knew what she was getting into this time and she, she's okay. Yeah. And then him being like tuckered out. Yeah. Wow, what a good game she played. That was so cute. Just great. I couldn't yeah. take it. Yeah. I just, that is the sort of storyline on this show that I feel like you don't see a lot of on other shows where, I mean, I, we compare it sometimes to shows like This Is Us or something like that. I don't, I don't think I've ever seen such a small storyline on This Is Us. Everything has great magnitude, which I like, but I also love these sort of quiet moments of parenting. And it's not like Full House. It's not cheesy with cue the music, you know. It's like, how do you actually work through an issue like this with a child? Like a very typical issue. And so I, I don't know, maybe some people would be like, and that's why I don't watch it. It's too close to reality. But for, right. but for me, I, I really. I got to teach my own kid how to lose. <laughs> yeah. I'll have time for this. <laughs> well, so. speaking of another small storyline, but with large implications, Max being bullied Ugh. and seemingly oblivious to it. That opening scene really hit me hard. You would feel so helpless as the parent. And what are you supposed to do? Explain to your kid, you're being made fun of. Yeah. I thought Christina did the right thing when she just had a conversation and she didn't like spell it out like you're being bullied, but she just asked him questions. If he really thought about it, he might kind of wonder, you know, if he kind of picked up on her, on her questions, but she just did a little investigating. She's like, do you realize what's going on? Okay. You don't. 
Is this what's yeah. happening? You know, I thought that was a smart parent move. Get a little more information about that situation. Yeah. I thought that was really great too. Cause like, how are you supposed to get information without necessarily indicating what information you're after? Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, and it seems like there might be circumstances under which it would be good to tell someone this is happening so that they can be aware and like adjust behavior or, or whatever. But I don't think this is one of them. And I also think that the reasons they're making fun of him are not really things in his control. They're not making fun of him for being kind of selfish, like like the things that he does need to work on, you know? Like, like right. it's these like flapping movements and, and repeating words. I'm like, well, I don't know that that's really going to stop. And, and I feel like that is not Max's issue to work through. It's those boys. They lack compassion for anyone who's different from them. And so that's, I don't know what you do with that, but like that's Max didn't do anything wrong. And, and sometimes he does, but I thought in this episode, they were making fun of him for, for nothing that he was doing wrong. Yeah. I wondered, and maybe you're right, but I wondered if for Max, it's all about like winning and losing. And you saw him when he was talking to his parents. And (laughs) it's interesting that this episode is called Sore Loser. He's not losing, but he's definitely not. I don't want to say he's not winning graciously, but he's, it's all like, I'm the smartest one. And I, I know this and they don't. That's true. Do you know what I mean? So there's an attitude that I don't know if maybe his classmates picked up on. That also might be driving some of this behavior beyond just the things that they're teasing him about. But then I don't know if, like, I don't think I saw like a really concrete example of Max showing that directly and then responding in that way. Although it raises a good point that I hadn't even thought of. You see at the actual mathlete event, the kid, I I guess it's Lewis, trying to do the same thing with Max and Lewis's friends being like, it's not that funny yeah and it seemed to me in that scene like you realized part of the reason that lewis is doing this is because he's jealous that max is better than him yeah i got that and max gets the right answers faster than lewis but lewis can feel superior to him because lewis doesn't do the flapping and calculate his solutions in the same way yeah so lewis is doing that to like assert some kind of superiority when in reality, no, Max is beating you. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I felt like the other kids were sort of noticing that too. And like, yeah, we get it. He flaps. What's the joke? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe like, Lewis mean. is the sore loser too then. Maybe Sydney's not Ooh, the only sore loser of true. the episode. Good point. Well, let's discuss Adam and Christina's discussion about how to handle this. Adam, we need to talk about know, this. We need to deal with this right now. Okay, this kid, Lewis, right yeah. out in the open. He excludes Max. He was making fun of him, Honey, making faces I saw behind it. his back. I didn't like it. You it's saw, a tricky situation, not. okay? But something has to be done about it. You know what? I think that we should call his parents. Oh, God. No, honey, Please. we can't call the... Nothing is second. getting done. Nothing's getting resolved. We're going round and round in circles, not figuring anything out. Who is that? It's Crosby. What does he want? Oh, God. He says no. i got to come into the studio. It's urgent. Everything with Crosby's urgent. Adam, we have to talk about this right now, okay? We're not going to solve this tonight, okay? okay. Adam, we I need to, to deal with this. Listen, honey. Please. I know how you feel, okay? But I think you're overreacting, okay? You can't Listen, go right now. I just don't think that it's time for us to jump in and, you know, call the parents. Honey, I think that's a nuclear I... option. It could just blow up in our faces, okay? Honey, please. Just, you don't need to I go down there. I can't. I have to go. He's not going to stop. What's I got to go. I don't, know, I don't know what it is. He says it's urgent. I love you, okay? I'm not overreacting, right. Adam. Adam. I, I got to go. Are you kidding? Honey, I don't know this what it is. This is a much bigger issue. I agree. I had a strong reaction to that, but 
I can save Tell mine. Us. Well, I thought Christina was totally right and that Adam was really wrong. Like, I'm not saying that she was right that they needed to call the parents, but I feel like she was tossing that idea out to be like, let's have a conversation about this. I've witnessed this happen a few times now. We need to get on it. And I think Adam now has a job that's just pure fun. <laughs> he gets to go hang out with his brother and his hot new receptionist. I mean, I just throw that in there. But, but like, I think if you're having a serious conversation about your son being bullied, you maybe send a follow-up text to Crosby that says, what is going on? To make right. sure that you really need to go out or there. Call. Or call. Yeah. I feel what like he kind of uses Crosby in this moment as a way to escape the reality of this like kind of upsetting situation to just go do I don't think he thinks anything truly horrible has happened because what could that be at the you know Artie Party's pulling all of his money. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, maybe this is wrong of me to say, but I feel like if his job was still at the shoe company. I wouldn't maybe feel this way because I know that he hated that job. And so if he did go there, he would probably really feel like I have to. But here I'm like, I feel like you just want to go hang out with your brother instead of have this hard conversation. And so I don't know. It really rubbed me the wrong way. And the way that he told Christina she was overreacting, that's a real trigger for me. I, I do hate that when, when people tell anyone that they're overreacting, when they're just feeling their feelings. But especially if you tell a woman, calm down, little lady, you're overreacting. Mm, I don't like that. Okay, so anyway, do you two have thoughts on that scene? <laughs> That's so funny. I had the opposite reaction. Oh, wow. <laughs> I was like, okay, so this is a situation. It does need to be dealt with. Max is being made fun of, but he's oblivious to it, right? So like the emotional potential harm that it's causing is not immediate because he is unaware. That's a good you point. know, it's somebody is is taking advantage of the situation and they shouldn't be and they need that needs to be corrected, but it's not hurting him in any way that we are aware of. But then he gets a text that says emergency. Okay, we find out it wasn't an emergency. <laughs> like spoiler to that. Like, but like I just thought he's like, oh, this is an emergency. Like, I need to take care of this. And this conversation about our son can happen later this evening, or you know, when we get back, or like nothing is going to happen between now and when we're going to have this conversation to figure out what we need to do. That totally makes sense. What you just said. Yeah. It, but yeah, but what you said made sense too. So I was like, oh yeah, <laughs> we're both so smart. Well, and it's so, so funny, Melissa, when you were done, I was going to say, I completely agree with, with everything you said, but I also agree with everything Juliet said. Uh, we're all so <laughs> smart. <laughs> I wasn't examining it so, so much about Adam leaving or not. Although I did feel all of that too. I was more wondering, like, is contacting the parents, as Adam calls it, a nuclear um, option? Hmm. And I was kind of torn because, like you just said, Juliet, I, I thought if Max isn't aware he's being teased, is there maybe a case for just letting it continue? Because it's not hurting Max's feelings. It's hurting Christina's feelings. Hmm. And I thought if she wants it to stop because it makes her feel bad, not because it makes Max feel bad then I think you kind of do have to go to the parents because she doesn't need to talk to Max about it. All she would do is make him aware, hey, your feelings should be hurt, buddy. Right. Like, that's not great. And I don't think it's a good idea to go straight to Lewis, which we'll get to very <laughs> shortly. So I think the parents is the, the natural thing. Or 
just letting it go on. But I also think that doesn't feel right because even if it's not hurting anyone, it's wrong. Well, and it's setting an example and, that it's okay. Yeah, that it's right. fine to it's, make fun of kids yeah. who have but differences. But then again, that's, then how do we address that? Go to Lewis's parents and say, your child is bullying another kid. Not cool. And it doesn't matter if Max's feelings are being hurt or not. That's not good. Well, can we get to that conversation with Christina <laughs> yeah. and the kid? I don't think necessarily it would be bad to talk to the kid as a parent, like to let you go, like, right. hey, somebody uh, is witnessing this and, and knows that this is incorrect and is going to tell you. But the way that she did it. Hey, Lewis. Hey, honey, how are you? I'm, I'm good. How are you doing? I'm Mrs. Yeah. Braverman. I'm Max's mom. And I just want you to know that he doesn't realize that you've been making fun of him behind his back, but I've seen it. And it needs to stop, okay? All of it. Do you understand me? You and your friends, your cohorts, you think you can get by with your Justin Bieber hairdo and your Invisalign braces? Guess what? Puberty's gonna set in. It's gonna set in ugly. Abort, abort. Be a friend. Be a friend, not a bully. She only changes her tone because now there's an adult witness. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, this was one of those moments that because it was a show, I was like, woo! <laughs> but also recognizing, oh, if this were life, that's deeply troubling and not okay. Right. Yeah, like I kind of <laughs> cheered for it, but I also recognized, no, not okay. <laughs> but yeah, Julia, what, what were your thoughts? Well, first of all, she's doing this in a public venue. There are people all around him. There are his peers that are going to hear him. So I don't necessarily think like, humiliating somebody should be returned with another public humiliation, right? Like, I don't well think that's going to be a great way to tell somebody not to do something. Like she kind of did a little bullying herself in that, in that, mm. in that instance. Yep. And I thought that's her taking it personally. And that's her putting it all on this kid, you know? Wow. Yeah. It leaves no room for the dignity of this other kid is what I felt like. But Damn. at the same time, she definitely got her point across. <laughs> Right. In, in some way, form or fashion. And I did think be a friend, not a bully, ultimately was a good moral to instill in the child. And I liked that it was framed as not a negative, not stop bullying my son, but rather like you have two choices in life, Lewis. You can be a friend or you can be a bully. Pick friend. Yeah. But I, I, I wrote down the exact same thing you said, Melissa. I'm like, this whole scene is dependent upon us only viewing it from Christina's point of view. Because if you saw it from Lewis's point of view or that teacher, I was just assuming she was a teacher, maybe she was a parent, <laughs> lurking nearby, then it's just an insane adult <laughs> attacking a child. <laughs> yes. And uh, did you notice when she walked away, he goes, oh, that was my chest or something. I watched it again to see, like, did she ever actually poke him? And I didn't see her poke him, but he was grabbing his chest oh. like, she had poked him. Well, and you don't insult a kid. I mean, like, yeah. Yeah. The Justin far. Bieber haircut and the Invisalign braces. It was very funny. But yeah, but it was just not acceptable. <laughs> I thought it was funny earlier when she said that he looked like Ted Koppel. I know. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think that is troublesome. Speaking of funny. Yeah. I loved... This is just purely because I thought it was funny. All right, Maximatician. Don't, don't use that pun. I hate that pun, and I hate old puns. All right, well, here's looking at Euclid. <laughs> <laughs> I did enjoy that. How to torture your autistic child. <laughs> you know, Adam is really pretty cute, and I thought he was just adorable making dad jokes. And it's like, ah, 
Why don't we ever get to see this of him just being like kind of a doofus? It was the most likable he was. The whole He's always so episode. sanctimonious. Yeah. yeah. Like just be like a goofy whatever. Yeah. Well, let's move on to the luncheonette. What's Whew. going on there? Damn. You know, I didn't remember that this happened, but I feel like you didn't have to be Nostradamus to have predicted that Crosby would cross a line with Rachel. I found him very inappropriate. With really? Her. I didn't. I, I just thought he was clearly flirting with her all the time. Can I be honest? I actually thought that that emergency text was to get his brother there because he thought he was going to cross a line with Rachel. I thought, oh, maybe mm. this is his like, hey, come get me out of the situation because I'm about to do something that I know I shouldn't do. And then I was like, oh, that's not what it was at all. See, what's weird is I got this vibe that while, of course, objectively, he finds Rachel attractive, I did not feel it had the same sort of vibe as when he and Gabby talked. Like, I felt like it was very playful and like almost brotherly. Like when they were making fun of Artie Party together, I didn't feel like that was them flirting with each other. I kind of got this like same banter that he does with Sarah sometimes, you know, like when they were oh. making fun of Amazing Andy, or not making fun of, but like when they were watching Amazing Andy and they were kind of making fun of each other, like reacting to the bugs and stuff. I had a similar thought. Like, I didn't know that this guy, <laughs> do the kids like lounge music? And they were like laughing. And I could see where that would seem like flirting, but so- somehow... Him putting his hands on her ears. And, oh, yeah, maybe. And I mean, honestly, him just getting drunk with her at the end, too. I'm like, oh. I don't know. I also thought it was wildly inappropriate that he was talking all throughout the guy's recording session. Like, yeah. I was totally oh, yeah. on Artie Party's side. <laughs> like, uh, this is so unprofessional. Yeah. And that you would trade who you're talking to. All right, send Rachel away. And now let me talk right through this guy's recording session to someone else. Yeah, I thought that too. I was like, um, this guy is paying for you to do a service yeah. and you're making fun of him while he's trying to do it. To be yeah. fair, Artie Party was a much bigger diva than like CeeLo Green. I, you know, CeeLo Green is like <laughs> a legit star and he was fine. Um. <laughs> well, let's dive into another ethical conundrum. How do you think Adam handled this conversation with Rachel about her wardrobe? Hey, uh... Listen, Rachel, there's something I've been meaning to say to you since sure. you started working here. And I hope you don't take it the wrong way. But, you know, just because it's the music business, you know, doesn't mean that, you know, we expect you or that you have to dress a certain way. <laughs> you don't. No, no, no. I actually think this is one of the reasons to work in the music business and oh, okay. have your own sense of style. Sure. I'm not really the, you know, corporate office type of person, I think. Right. I get that. Sure. But I can, if you'd like me to, um, dress in for oh no no no, 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 no. I'm, I'm not I asking you to dress to... differently i'm just saying you don't have to that's all i was saying i mean it's it's very sweet of you to be protective of me thank you well i have a daughter so she's a lot younger than you but okay maybe uh, we should uh i will go I... get my stuff okay yeah <laughs> thanks rachel I thought that it was okay. I thought that, you know, he never actually even, even though he is the boss and he could very easily say, look, you know, we really would like you to wear clothes that didn't show your midriff or he could have been very specific. He didn't, I mean, and he could have legitimately and he never actually asked her to change. He just kind of was like, you don't have to dress this way. 
like if you think that you do. And it's interesting too, because like we later find out that like this really has an effect on her, right? Like I think the message that she gets from this is that like, oh, I really don't have to, like there's more to me. Like I'm valued for more than being eye candy, essentially. That's my my first takeaway. I thought his motives were clearly good. And I liked that when she made an offer to dress more conservatively, that he made it abundantly clear that he wasn't asking her to change how she dressed and that he didn't have a problem with it as long as she wanted to. I also, I weirdly liked that the conversation felt impromptu rather than being like, I need to call you in for a meeting. Cause that to me felt like it lessened the sense that there was like an issue that needs to be addressed. But I also, I think it's a tricky thing to bring up under any circumstances. And I was, I was like, I just think he's lucky that she was so charitable towards him and like, assumed the best on his part because I don't think she necessarily needed to be. I think she would have been within her rights to be like, uh, don't tell me anything about how you think I dress. What are your opinions, <laughs> Melissa? <laughs> I thought the only reason you should have a talk with someone about their wardrobe is if they are breaking some sort of dress code. And since that clearly wasn't the case, I think he was making an awful lot of assumptions here. Like, that she was dressing a certain way because she felt she had to. I, I felt like he was being super condescending and it was like under the guise of being protective. But it's like, who are you to be protective of her? She's a grown woman. When he later said, I have a daughter, I thought, yeah, who's 17 years old. This is a grown ass woman who can dress however she wants. And it was weird that it's like, he felt like he had to somehow check in with her, make sure, like, it just, the whole thing felt very insulting to me. Like, I'm like, she's dressing this way because this is how she wants to dress. And like, I think it's why I liked how Crosby treated her because I was like, Crosby treats her like a person. Like, he even mentioned that she was beautiful in one scene, but it was like, you know, this guy, he commented on her beauty, you know, like, but like, not in a way that's uncomfortable, if that makes sense. He says it like, it's just a fact. Like, I don't know. Adam's behavior towards Rachel made me 100% more uncomfortable in this episode than Crosby's behavior. That was, that was my thought. Crosby was just treating her like kind of one of the guys. Let's drink. Let's do that. Like, that's kind of how I saw that. Adam kept thinking he had to be like some sort of weird white knight in this episode. I'm like, who are you? You're not her dad. You're not her partner. You're her boss. And if the way she's dressing isn't actually breaking any sort of dress code, then why the hell are you commenting on her looks or her outfits at all? Stay the hell away. Danger, danger. Like, why are you? <laughs> That's how I felt. But anyway, that was me. That's a good point. I could see how that, yeah, like it could come off as very paternalistic, right? Like, I, I can understand that. It's a too. fair point. Yeah. I also, I will say this, this isn't typically like me, but I didn't even find it appropriate that he started that whole conversation by confiding in her about Max. Now, normally, oh yeah, gosh. did you feel that way too? I took a similar note, but it was because of you. Really? Oh, cool. Yeah. Because I, I thought it reminded me of you telling me sometime about how you think there are different kinds of infidelity. And one of them is just intimacy with people. And confiding to her about what he and his wife are strategizing about with their special needs son, that's a very intimate thing to reveal. And I wasn't sure if I was reading too much into it because I thought, you know, I don't want to say that coworkers can't relate to each other as human beings and 
part of that is sharing what's going on in your life. But I thought like he does know that Christina is sensitive and insecure about Rachel in particular and right now. And I don't know. I mean, it was pretty innocent and maybe it was, I think it was definitely colored by me knowing that Rachel was going to kiss him at the end of the episode. Yeah. But I was like, oh, maybe this is a little too intimate this soon. Or, and and you're both there late and I, I don't, it just... Anyway, now I feel like I stole your point. No, no. What really got me about that was because, like, again, Mark watched this episode with me, and he was like, I don't really see where that's a problem. I think the reason he even brings it up is he's a little embarrassed that Rachel overheard part of it and just wanted to clarify. And I just kept thinking, I think, why does this bug me? There's got to be a real reason why this bugs me. And then it hit me. Last season, when Sarah was confiding in Gordon about Max... Adam was like, I want to keep work separate. Don't confide in him about Max. That's my business. And I thought, you worked with Gordon for 14 years and you never <laughs> talked to him about Max. You've worked with Rachel for a week and you're t- you confide. It just, it felt to me like that's an intimacy that Adam isn't comfortable with. Like if Crosby did it, if Crosby was like, Rachel, let me talk to you about my (laughs) ex-fiance's new boyfriend. I'd be like, you know what? That's just what Crosby does. He talks to literally everyone about his problems. And I don't think I'd find it the same level of inappropriate, but Adam has very clear boundaries and he broke his own clear boundaries. That's what I thought. I think that Adam didn't want his old boss, Gord, like he didn't like Gordon. And also there was a power dynamic at play, right? Gordon's his boss. So he doesn't know how Gordon's going to use this information. That makes um, sense. Potentially. But here, the power dynamic is flipped. He's the boss. And he's making a choice to share it with Rachel, who he doesn't have. A, he doesn't dislike Rachel. Like, right. he really had st- some, like, friction with Gordon. But I don't think it's the same with Rachel. So That's a good um, point. And I also don't think, like, if Christina was in the room, I don't think she would care one iota that he just said, oh, yeah, we're just, I mean, it was not like a, he didn't go into a long in-depth thing it was just a quick like hey this this blah 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 you know and I feel like that's just normal among co-workers like we talk about our lives yeah I think Christina might not have been happy to oh really but not on any huge principle but just because I think she's a little touchy around Rachel in general but I agree with your point and I also my memory of Gordon although that's also a very good point the Gordon comparison but I do feel like part of that was that Adam wanted to decide who he shared stuff with. That's so, true. And yeah. he is obviously deciding. It's not someone else telling Rachel. So, But yeah, I think you do raise a good, even just to point out that that was a line he wasn't willing to cross with someone after 14 years. And he <laughs> is willing to cross it with her after 14 minutes. I think it's also, you're, you said something very smart earlier, Caleb, that was like, everything's colored by we know what happens at the end of this episode. If, if, if right. she doesn't try to kiss him or actually does kiss him at the end of the episode, maybe I think nothing of that, you know? But I, I feel like so often when people get themselves into a situation like the one Adam finds himself in at the end, people are like, I don't know what happened. It happened out of nowhere. And I'm like, these things don't happen out of nowhere. It's a bunch of small decisions and some are worse than others. One could argue that both of those small decisions, talking to Rachel about Max and talking to her about her wardrobe were not that bad, but they were the first two. And then we get more. And I think, yeah. yeah so. Well, and that reminded me of when my uncle Lyle was on and talked about margins mm-hmm. and you know, you can set a glass of water on the edge of the table and yeah, 
it's on the table, it's not going to fall over. But if you set it in the middle of the table, the chances that it will fall over are way less. Because yeah. I thought the same thing in that last sequence when they were drinking. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, I, I have never been a drinker. So I say this with a huge caveat because getting drunk holds absolutely no appeal to me. But I was like, is it maybe a good rule of thumb to not get drunk at work ever, even after hours? And possibly not to ever drink or get drunk with anyone you work with. Because to me, again, I think it was colored by knowing what was coming. And it's like, you guys need to not be uninhibited. (laughs) You need all your inhibitions right now. Yeah. But drinking doesn't ensure that you'll cross boundaries with anyone. But not drinking makes it way less likely. Agree. Actually, it was funny because I think everybody expects in that situation, in that, in this episode, that it's going to be Crosby that crosses some lines with Rachel. It's surprising that it's not Crosby. Yeah. What did you think when Adam brought up Rachel's looks again? You know, she makes the joke, like, good thing I didn't wear my turtleneck. Was it overkill that he was trying to, like, clarify his earlier remarks? It made me hugely uncomfortable. When she made the joke about the turtleneck, laugh it off. Laugh with her. Be like, yep, I, yep, the end. Like, it, I thought it was kind of a funny joke that she made, and I thought it was almost felt like a peace offering of, look, uh. this was an uncomfortable thing. We're laughing it off, right? No big deal. Yeah. And then he, like, starts essentially telling her she's beautiful and needs to be treasured. And, like, all, I mean, that's, I know not exactly the way he phrases it, but that wasn't professional at all. And I think he was... I get it. From his point of view, I don't think he was hitting on her. I think he kept thinking of her like fatherly, but that's not their relationship. It's not his place. That is such a good point. And like at first I didn't see what was wrong with that comment, but I think you're right. I think he should have just, even though she brought it up, he didn't need to, he didn't need to get back into it again because he is assuming a father role when he should be assuming a boss role. Yeah. And it's hard, it's it's a weird thing to criticize him for because I think we all agree that it comes from a very good place and it's a nice opinion he has of her, which is, I don't want you to think you have nothing to offer but your looks. Well, that's great. I did write down, I was like, is this maybe an instance of show, don't tell, which is like a TV rule or drama rule or writing rule, but in real life, Like, maybe don't tell Rachel that there's more to her than her looks, but just show her by treating her as a competent, well-rounded individual. I mean, at what point has she ever said to him, I'm worried people only appreciate me for my looks, you know, like, like he's making all kinds of assumptions here, like that because she likes to dress a certain way and because she is very pretty, that she must not value herself. I find that hugely condescending. She, you know, even later, right before the the kiss, you know, she says, you know, sometimes people do act like, you know, that's not what they see first, but she even says, I know I'm smart. So there's, there's some sort of value she knows she has but she was getting a master's degree. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you don't do that because you think you're an idiot. Right. I mean, that's an assumption, I guess, but I think it's a... I think that's a safer one. <laughs> fairly <laughs> evidentiary. You know, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I just... It, it makes me... It reminds me of how last season when... Adam and Christina overheard that (laughs) Alex and Hattie having sex, which is horrifying. And he's like trying to say, 
maybe it wasn't her. Maybe it was that friend of hers. You've seen how she dresses. I'm, I'm like, is this a pattern for Adam of making assumptions about women based on how they dress? And maybe that's not just Adam, you know, maybe that's uh, something a lot of people do, but it's something to look into, you know? And, and of course he doesn't go in a really bad. He wouldn't let Hattie wear that bra from yeah. Victoria's Secret. Yeah. I, I mean, about that. it's a very traditional way of looking at women and, I think, you know, people love Adam and they, they love how respectful he is of, of women, but it's, I'm, I'm learning during this rewatch. It's not a brand of, um, respect that I particularly care for. I'm like, just give her the dignity of treating her like a person. He keeps calling attention to the way she looks. And I'm like, that would make me super uncomfortable if a guy I worked with kept doing that. Meanwhile, if Crosby was just joking around with me and, and be, you know, ma- making jokes and maybe mentioned that I was attractive, but in a way that was like just a fact and not, you know, when he was like, he kept talking about what a great beauty we have here. So she's our secret weapon. This is great. Like that felt like such a different tone than I just don't want you to think the only thing you have going for you are your looks. You don't have to trade on your looks. I'm like, she's not. She's fixing your printer and doing all these great things. I, I don't know. <laughs> your billing software. I did think, I just want to briefly mention that scene with that guy Gavin who showed up. Yeah. That was shockingly uncomfortable to me. And yet I felt like the tone of it was really well executed because Gavin wasn't being outright lecherous or anything. To the point that I think if someone in the scene had called him out on his behavior, I'd be like, calm down. He didn't he didn't do anything worthy of that. But it certainly didn't feel good or right to me. And I think because we know, we've seen enough of Rachel on the show to know that she's not stupid, I felt like she has to be picking up on this. She has to hear how he's talking about her. And I'm like, that can't feel good. And it it's such a fine line because, like, of course she wants people to find her attractive. She clearly cares about her appearance and how she presents herself. But too much attention or the wrong kind, and it's really gross. I didn't like that either. And it was an important scene because I think it really does help make what Adam's doing feel better. You know, like, I I, th- I think that that's part of why he feels protective of her and, you know, the same way that he does, like, Hattie, is he sees the way people treat her. Yeah. You are right, though. This sets up this, like, rescue dynamic. Yeah. Thing. He feels like it's his job to rescue her, and it is not. No. And I gotta say, like, this is where things get murky for me. I don't dress like that. I would be uncomfortable if someone commented about my body the way that Gavin was commenting on Rachel. But I think sometimes people, just human nature, like have this tendency to think the way that we feel is like the way everyone feels or should feel. And I'm like, I wonder if that bothered Rachel or not. I'm really honestly asking. I'm not sure. If she didn't want to be looked at, maybe she wouldn't dress that way. And I don't mean people have the right to be rude, but you know, the kind of attention I don't like getting, I wonder if maybe she does like getting. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too, because I think you know when you dress a certain way that you increase your potential one way or another of of the type of response and attention that you get. You know how you dress, because that's why we choose to dress the way that we do in some form or fashion, you know? So I kind of wondered the same thing. And I kind of thought she was okay with it. I thought she's like, I know I have this going on for me and I use it you know, along with my brains and my many talents. Well, like she says to Adam, that's one of the reasons she went into this business. She doesn't feel like the office type. And I took that to mean like, I don't really want to wear a skirt and a blouse. You know, I, I have a different style and a different sensibility. 
And the music industry is an industry that allows me to indulge that. Yeah. Great. Good fit. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the actual kiss, yeah, shall we? Yeah, we should. It's so much of it's visual, and there's it's rainy, but I'm going to play it anyway, I think, just so we refresh our memories. I'm sorry that I dress provocatively sometimes. Oh, Rachel, I'm, I'm sorry if I made you feel self-conscious. No, I didn't, yeah, I didn't I, intend I just, for that to happen. I probably shouldn't have said anything. I appreciate what you said about me being smart. Well, you are. You are. I mean, I am, yeah. But that's not what anyone ever notices about me. Probably because I make sure that they notice my rock. You're a really good boss, and I don't mean to be such a <laughs> basket case. I... You gonna be okay? You're okay. Right? You're okay. So we do see, I think, in this that Adam's words, whether they were appropriate or not, his fatherly paternal paternal <laughs> response to her yeah um like did it did land like it definitely yeah. had an effect on her and so now we have the situation where alcohol has I was actually kind of like Adam if you just would have just watched her walk to her building yes. and not walked her up because again you both have been drinking and like this all could have been avoided if you just would have been like okay I'm just gonna make sure you get in safely from my car <laughs> agreed 100 percent. me too yeah and the building's like well lit. Yeah. And she's her door's on the front. Yeah. It's cause I, I I think the idea of like, let me make sure you get home safe. I want to see you go in your door. Okay, that's nice. But yeah, it felt like overkill. I, I thought the exact same thing. I'm like, I get it's raining and I I get driving her home, I guess. Although she did say she was fine taking the bus, and I don't think that was reverse psychology or something. I, you know, like I, I really think she was fine, but okay. Driving her home. Sure. But yeah, I mean, if, if they'd kissed in his car, then I'd be like, Ooh, but the fact that, yeah, he walks her up and then he hugs her. Like, I'm like, here's the thing. No, she shouldn't have kissed him, but I really think it was a bunch of decisions he made that ultimately made her feel like she could do that. You know, I, I feel like just that confiding in her about his personal life and commenting so much on the way she looks and walking her up and hugging her. It, it, it's, I mean, he's twice her age or whatever, you know, he, or, or at least considerably older. He's got to know that this, how this could come across or, or maybe he doesn't, maybe he thinks Crosby's the one who girls fall for, I'm like the dad, you know, maybe he's just like not thinking about how someone else might view him. But I just kept thinking when people say, how did this happen? I saw yeah. the writing on the wall. Yeah. I remembered this scene and my recollection was that Adam didn't do anything wrong. And I think I essentially still feel that way, yeah. but I, it's not as black and white as I remember it. Cause I definitely share both of your opinions that he didn't need to walk her to the door. And I don't think it's wrong that he walked her to her door, but it, it just made me question whether all he had on his mind was being a nice guy or not. Or was there some element of 
not that he was trying to make out with her, but I think he gets some sort of satisfaction out of what a nice guy he thinks he is. Ooh. And, uh, and, and actually, it, huh, it all made me start to formulate a little theory about the Bravermans. Oh, I like it. Which, uh, which I'm, I'm going to call, for now at least, performative magnanimity. <laughs> Do they sometimes behave very generously as like a way of demonstrating their virtue or scoring points rather than because they're genuinely good. Like I'm thinking of when Zeke offered to let Seth wait inside for Drew and Seth kind of called him on it. You know, oh Zeke, this is what you do. Hey, hey, I'm just being a good guy. <laughs> Julia with Zoe. Yeah. I just don't want you to be alone. We're gonna watch Cupcake Wars. Really? Or do you want her baby? <laughs> <laughs> Adam and the walkathon. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna get over that Amber slept with. I'm gonna get over it faster than anyone else, so that everyone has to kind of come up to my standard of forgiveness. Kind of Zeke and Camille towards Adam and Christina after Crosby slept with Gabby. We're over it. Blood's thicker than water. Come on, come on. I don't know. It's just a theory, and and you know maybe it applies to everybody to a degree. Is there like a totally selfless good deed? But Adam walking her to the door, it was just like, I'm going to get extra points because I didn't just drive her home. I walked her to her door because I'm a good guy. Well, who cares? <laughs> like, you're already a good guy. And, and, and I agree. Like, and again, this is probably tainted about what I knew was coming. Like, I did not think he needed to hug her. And it's like, she is not completely of sound mind. She hasn't been working there very long. You're standing in her doorway. You're talking about her rack. This does not seem like the right time for a hug. <laughs> it's like that's the time for a punch on the shoulder or a playful biff under the chin, not an embrace. <laughs> How did you think he handled post-kiss? Like, I thought that was, uh, he did pull away. Yeah. I don't think he engaged in the kiss. Yeah, I don't think he was expecting that or asking for, like, wanting it. You know, I just think. And I, and I don't put it on him that that was her. I mean, she had, she responded the way she did. He was doing what he does, doing the Adam thing, but I'm not going to blame Adam for the fact that she kissed him. Mm-hmm. If he was yeah. giving off messages, that's like the same way of her dressing. She gives off certain messages. It does play a role, right? But at the same time, people also have the responsibility of how they choose to interact. Yeah. So I think his response was good. He pulled away. And then he was like, what? No, you know, and then it was over. I thought his response in the moment was, was good. Yeah. What did you think about the next day? I hated that. Yeah. I was like, why are you doing this? Making it uncomfortable. Like, let's just move on. The way he right. said, I love my wife. <laughs> Here are all my thoughts. Seemed over dramatic. Yeah. Number one, I thought, well, if this were a different kind of show, like a very different show, if this were a Lifetime movie, that's when she murders Christina. <laughs> 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 that's what it's like <laughs> the obstacle in our way you know and I know it's not that kind of show so that's, but like seriously I thought that's not why because it makes it seem like if he were single he would sleep with his much younger assistant you know or like that they have something between them but we mustn't yeah I don't think that's what she we, was putting out yeah there. we mustn't I love my wife I'm like no, that's that. No, you just, if you say anything, I mean, I think you were clear the night before and she's not flirting with you right now. She's obviously embarrassed. Leave it alone. But if you've got to say something, just say, 
just so we're clear, I'm maybe apologize. If I, if I gave you the wrong idea, I'm sorry. We're coworkers and, and you know, if you say anything, but to say, I love my wife, which hello should be a given that, you know, like, I'm just like, that makes it seem like that's why you're not together. I, I was like, that's the wrong thing to say. It really bothered me. I mean, it's good. He loves his wife and I believe him and I know he does, but that's not the point. It's kind of like when people are like, all lives matter. I'm like, well, yes, they do. But when you say it in <laughs> response to black lives matter, then it becomes charged. You know, if you just randomly like, yeah, I love my wife. But if you're saying it to someone who just kissed you, it feels like the wrong. Color. Yeah. I, I put, I love my wife is what you say. If Rachel asked you to run away with her and start a new life, <laughs> I can't, I love my wife. <laughs> she just kissed you. And it seems like she immediately regretted it. Yeah. I don't think he needs to impress upon her that he's devoted to his wife. Yeah. I think that's probably why she was embarrassed. Yeah. Because she knows he loves his wife. Exactly. I just felt like, poor girl, she's trying to move on and be professional. And he brings it up again when she didn't bring it up. Yeah. I was like, just good Lord. Just thanks for making this more awkward, Adam. (laughs) I remembered not disliking Rachel. Like when, when she shows up, I immediately remember, oh yes, this is, this is the assistant who kisses Adam. Got it. I remember that happened, but I also remembered never being like, oh right, there's that vixen who swept in, you know? And I really, to the show's immense credit, that's not how they frame it. It's like very complicated. You know, I, I think she misreads it. She made a mistake. She did. I agree with you, Juliet, when you're like, we can't blame Adam for the whole thing. I mean, she shouldn't have kissed him. He's her boss and he's married. It's like deeply inappropriate. But I also, yeah, I just, I keep thinking back, you know, you don't wait until you're like alone with someone you're attracted to somewhere to pull away. You pull away way before. Actually, that makes me want to ask you to, I meant to do this earlier. Is Adam attracted to her? I'm curious. Like not just objectively, he thinks she is attractive. Is he, I know he doesn't want to kiss her. I know he doesn't want to have an affair. I know he's committed to Christina. So I'm not asking that, but do you think he actually is attracted to her and that's throwing him because he doesn't know how to act or no, he's not. He thinks of her like a daughter or something. That's tricky. I have no idea. It could be one. It could be that. It could be both. My immediate reaction is, yeah, I think he probably is. I did write down when he left that conversation with Christina to go tend to the emergency. And then like the next time you see him, he's like sitting on the couch drinking. Yeah. I took the same note that you kind of addressed earlier, Melissa. And I wrote down, do you think Adam went into business with Crosby in order to escape his life slash image a little bit? of Adam the do-right, buttoned-up, square. Now he gets to run a recording studio, and he gets to hang out and have drinks at work and leave his wife at home. And Is this like his version of a midlife crisis? Wow. I'm not going to cheat with a younger woman. I'm not going to buy a younger car. But I am going to try and reinvent myself in a way where I don't see myself as being so lame. This kind of reminds me of a few things from season one. Number one, when he tells Christina, I don't have a life, I have a schedule. I feel like that would really make sense with what you're saying. Like, here is a chance to have maybe a fuller life. I mean, he did work at a place he hated for a decade and a half. You know, he, he, he loves his home life, but hated what he did for a living. And so here's a chance to, you know. But I also wonder, in season one, there was that 
part where he had to go for drinks with a couple of guys. It was kind of a random thing. And Christina calls and says something sexy like kittens on the grill or whatever. Kittens on the grill. And he can't wait <laughs> to leave his... <laughs> I forgot about that. Kittens on the grill. Kittens on the grill. <laughs> he, I, I remember finding it such a delightful change from what you would expect, which is he can't wait to leave the guys at the bar and go home to his wife. But here, it sort of seems like the opposite is happening. He can't wait to leave his wife to go to work. And I don't think it's as simple as to hang out with this woman he's attracted to. Right. But I think there might be some level there. Because I don't think all inappropriate things are the same. I don't think it's like he wants to sleep with his... I don't think he does want to do that. I don't think he actually wants to put his, his real life in any danger. But I do think there might be some element of... And there's a newborn at home right now. I mean, the amount of work that is and how it's just child care 24-7. Yeah. That is something that sane people would like to get out of. Yeah. He said he would stay for one drink. But then by the end of this evening, they're like, oh, you've only had one? So like he stayed, even though he didn't drink anymore. He they stayed did. for the party. Yeah. And he knew Christina was like, we need to talk about this. And he didn't right. go back home. Once he learned really it quick. wasn't an emergency, he wasn't yeah, like that really I did not like that. Yeah. Like, Come on, I think Adam. I think he might he might be trying to get a break from the pressures of home with his through his new job. And it's a little unfair because what break does Christina get? You know, she's right preoccupied with their son being, you know, bullied and like I mean, it's just nonstop for her and she doesn't get to have escape an escape. To her her yeah. fun job. Yeah. <laughs> so he lies to her about it the next day he when does. she asks what the emergency was. Do you think he should tell her the truth at some point? Yes. Yes. Great. Maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think so too, Caleb? Um, yeah. Yeah. It, and well, I mean, we make jokes about how much we overthink things, but you absolutely can overthink things sometimes. And I think you guys just proved like that really is the extent of this dilemma. Should he tell her? Yes. Yeah. Because it, it's true that, yeah, nothing's going to happen between them. And I, I sincerely believe that on both their parts. Yeah. I don't think either of them want I don't think she's happen. going back to try again. <laughs> I think that's yeah. embarrassing. And I don't think Adam is, so I don't think Christina has anything to worry about. I suspect that Christina, if she knew, would want Rachel not to work there anymore. And given where Christina would be coming from, I think that's not completely ridiculous. But from Adam's perspective, I can see how it... It would be punishing a really capable employee for one mistake that she knows is a mistake and didn't end up actually hurting the business or her job performance or anything. But ultimately, I think not telling Christina just feels dishonest. You can't do that to your wife. It's very similar to the conflict in season one. Where Were you going to say that? Joel and Julia. Yeah. Is that what you're talking about? Yes, with Raquel. And Raquel, that's right. And didn't he? didn't Joel not tell her for a while and then she like found out about it much, much later. I think it was I think like, like a month. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I understand like why Adam wouldn't want to, to say in this situation, but like, again, like you gotta, I mean, that's like the reality of what happened. You gotta, can't keep it. I mean, well, let me ask you two married women. Do you think this is a case where sooner is better? Like if he had come home from Rachel's and let's say Christina was asleep, and he woke her up and said, guess what just happened? Is that better? I mean, maybe I didn't need to throw in that she was asleep, but like that it was immediate. As soon as he could tell her, 
that he tells her. Because now, even dropping Max off at school, he has already literally lied to her. Yes. I, I don't I don't think you wake her up. I think if she's asleep, you're like, let's t- we'll talk in the morning. Honey, honey, I cheated on you. <laughs> <laughs> but no. Guys, I was doing some charades there too, nudging her. <laughs> But I, th- I think what what really upset Julia was feeling like a fool in that season yeah. one thing. You know, like you let so much time go by. I mean, here Christina is feeling insecure about this woman. You you got to tell her. And I, I it did make me uncomfortable that he lied. Although I get why he did. I don't think it was to be a jerk. It was because this hurried moment before their day is not maybe the moment to, you know, and Max is, I think, still in the back seat, right? You don't say, well, my... Yeah. Maybe, yeah, maybe yeah, you yeah. just say, hey, um, later on, we need to... Have a chat. <laughs> we need to have a chat when you're free, when, you, when we don't have kids in the car, when it's just you and I. Yeah. Although then she'd be all day being like, what the hell happened? Yeah, right. it's hard. Yeah. It's a hard, yeah. Yeah. So, last but not least, Drew and Amy continuing their little... We need to be patronizing. They're little romance. <laughs> in this episode. So cute when kids think they're in love. <laughs> right. So Sarah finds out that Drew has a D. What did you think of Sarah's reaction? Hey, Drew. Yes. Oh, hi. Hi. I thought you went home for dinner. I'm sorry. I didn't know you were here. Well, yeah, she is, so. I have something that I wanted to talk to you about. I was waiting um. until... I can we can you. talk. We live in the same no, house. No, okay. Seriously, stay. What? It's okay. I'm sorry. I'll talk to you. What? Bye, wow. Amy. Bye. We'll see you soon. Wow. I guess I'll text you. Why did you kick her out? What? Kick her out. Did I didn't that... think you would want her to see. I you mean, know? great. Yeah. Great. Great. Yeah. I mean, I mean that's I... your reaction to a D. Yeah. Drew. What? Drew, what is going on? How did this happen? Well, it's my quarterly report card. It's not even a final grade. Well, it's so not it's, a final grade, but no, a quarter it, yeah, is, is bring a significant up. part of the year. Can you put the so phone down, please? I'm can trying you put the phone to down? apologize because you just... Can you put the phone down just... because I'm talking to you about something? I've never seen this from you. It's your junior year. I don't know. It's a hard class. I mean... But you didn't what? ask for There's help? Dad, please put the ridiculous. phone down. What? That's I'm driving me crazy. To make sure she's Driving safe, me crazy. Man. I'm speaking to you. You know what, Great. I think that you have been spending too much time with Amy. She's a very nice girl, but I think you shouldn't see her during the week. I'm not kidding you. It's the one change that has happened that is the only explanation for this. I like her very much. She's Can't a great girl. Great. But you can I'll see her on the weekends. Great. Do you hear me? You're not to see her during the week, okay? Ooh, you're not to see her. Ever. <laughs> <laughs> it's the theme of the episode. <laughs> anyway, what did you think of Sarah's reaction? Was she too harsh? Yes. It could have been a conversation, not a, this is what's happening, but like, hey, what do you think is contributing to this? I think it could be this. What do you think? You know? Yes. I simultaneously thought Drew was pretty rude to his mom in that scene, but I also totally got why. He was embarrassed that Amy was kind of essentially sent home so that he could be reprimanded for his grade. Like, I think if it had been me, I would have been like, oh, Amy, I didn't realize you were here. Drew, I just need to talk to you later. I would have I would have left because that's not a great way to start a conversation. Like with him being, you know, like when he was on his phone. And let me tell you, as a high school teacher, that also drives me insane. I hate nothing more <laughs> than someone just looking at their phone when they should be looking at me. I hate that. So I, I really got her frustration. But I'm also like, well... 
he feels like the the evening ended abruptly when he was like, I just want to like make sure she's getting home okay. You know, it just wasn't the ending for the evening that he had planned. And when I plop myself back to his age, that, that probably would have been very embarrassing in, in my mind, even though I don't think Sarah did anything embarrassing, but I think I would have felt that, you know? And, and so I felt like the whole conversation, and Juliet, you could not be more right. Like, yeah, conversation, like, w- why do you think you got a D? That's not like you, you know? Yeah, it felt like an ambush about the grade yeah. rather than a, a moment to check in. Be like, is everything okay? Yeah, it also felt like he, she's assuming it's a behavior and not a struggle. You know, like like you are spending too much time yeah. with Amy. So that's the D. You know, sometimes people really struggle and then they're embarrassed. They don't want to talk about it, you know? like, and And she just did not create an environment where they could talk. Yeah. And Drew is such a good kid. I think that earns you something like you know a chance to explain or improve yeah i loved drew talking about this with amber i mostly i just like their chemistry like when he's like you can't just ask me not to see someone and amber going someone special maybe (laughs) (laughs) but i also liked in that scene two little like seemingly contradictory things that i actually thought added a lot one was hearing amber gripe about sarah this is the story of my life with her, you know, being grounded and not being allowed to see certain people. And we've seen so much of Sarah and Amber getting along really well lately that it almost felt like, what? Amber is frustrated with Sarah? But I thought, well, she's still 18 or 19 only. She wouldn't totally be on her mom's side. She wouldn't be like old enough to look back and be like, yeah, mom was right about Damien or (laughs) anyone, you know, like I think she would still harbor some of that teenage frustration with her mom. And I don't think she would look back and agree with every decision her mom ever made. (laughs) So I liked that. And I also weirdly liked that she was smoking, even though I hate smoking. I didn't even notice she was smoking. It's so often a symbol of rebellion when in fact, like well, all kinds of people smoke. And if Amber smoked when she was rebelling, she probably smokes all the time. Or like, or probably smokes often. Huh. Not just when she's trying to piss her mom off. Also, that was probably her smoke break at work. Yeah. And actually, she might not have been smoking actively. Because at one point, I thought she had a cigarette in her hand, and I'm pretty sure it was a pen. But she had an ashtray in front of her with cigarettes in it, and she had a pack next to the ashtray. Huh. So she clearly had just been smoking or was about to or something. Did not even notice that. Totally missed it. So kids, the message is, if you like Amber, you should smoke too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <God>. Anyway. <laughs> well, later on, I remembered years later that there was some scene in Parenthood that had a really slow kind of indie cover of You're the One That I Want from Greece. I noticed that. I did not remember when it popped up. I didn't know that it was in this episode. It's beautiful. And I'm torn between either thinking it's brilliant and it totally works or that some songs just can't be slowed down and taken seriously. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know where I fall. Oh, I thought it was an interesting juxtaposition of a very like completely different song tone wise. And it, they tried, they did their best yeah. to change it, but that original still looms large. So you know, yeah. I'm just like, this is crazy. It's Greece. maybe fitting with these two teenage characters I thought in so. the scene. And especially, I was kind of taken aback by their I love yous. It seemed a little bit abrupt. Like the episode right before this is when they're like, 
do you want to be my girlfriend? Like <laughs> making it official. But then when I thought it over, I suppose you don't make things official unless you are taking it seriously. And things happen really quickly when you're a teenager. <laughs> like I remember I often... You no, know, it makes sense. I often think that people take longer on shows to say they love each other or like in movies and stuff than they do in life. Like maybe it's just me, but I think I've said I love you with four boyfriends and all of those happened within a month. All of us said we loved each other very quickly. And maybe I'm the weirdo and anyone listening is like, what you crazy cat? Like what's that about? But I don't know. I, I, I guess I just didn't date anyone casually. And so, um, we were in it, you know, we, we said it quickly. So I, I got, I got it. And I was like, yeah, you know what? You guys do love each other. Look at you. You're all smitten. Well, you know, them having to meet in secret, they're like, we kiss in a shadow moment. It probably contributed to pushing them there. So good job, Sarah. <laughs> yeah, good, exactly. <laughs> Way to speed things up, Sarah. <laughs> now, what did you think? I thought her punishment after she found Drew sneaking out, even though I thought she overreacted initially, I thought the second punishment was fair. You know, she's not making those rules just to hear herself talk. She's the parent. She's in charge. Drew broke the rules. There are consequences. In that instance, I actually appreciated that it wasn't a conversation. It, she just said three things. She was just like, I don't remember what they were. She said... No phone, no internet, no Amy. I think so. Yeah, and then just left. And she didn't wait for a reaction. Although I will say, forever? Like, how long? No phone, <laughs> no internet, no Amy. Like, that. there was the part of that. <laughs> it just struck me as, if, it, if I were Drew, I'd be tortured with the knowledge of, like, for some unspecified amount of time, I can't have these things. When will that stop? Like, you know, I, that was the thing that made, cause I feel like consequences should be like, you can picture them, you know, but yeah, I agree. It was very badass and very like to the point. And, and I thought she sounded very motherly and I, I enjoyed it, but I just kept thinking of that. I'm like, but how, how long no phone internet or Amy um, do I have to break up with Amy? I, am I never allowed to see her again? You know, like, <laughs> I don't know, but. Well, the voice of reason here came from perhaps an unexpected source. The grade was just one thing. And right. I thought the punishment was really fair. And then he's going to sneak out. And it was almost like he's asking for, what do you mean? Well, he's 16 and you told him that he can't see his first girlfriend. He's going to find a way. Of time. I think I think that there are ways of, of getting Drew to focus on his grades that that don't involve taking away something that's so important to him, that's making no. him so happy. No, if you had kids, you would know. Sometimes you just have to really give them a boundary. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're right. I'm not a parent, but at the same time, I deal with a hundred kids a year. They come into my class and I have to discipline them. And anytime I say to a kid, get out of my classroom, they go, oh, free period, and it drives a wedge between us, and they don't learn anything. They just are angry at me. I'm just sad for Drew that he doesn't get to see her. I see him with her in the halls, and he's smiling, and he's talking, and he's doing very Undrew-like things. He's sort of coming out of the show, and to keep a 16-year-old boy away from his first girlfriend is a, a tough job. 
I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say because you don't have kids. No, no, that's that's right. Kids. That's right. But thank you for saying that. Are we having our first fight? I feel this feels strange. I guess that qualifies as a fight. Now we can get straight to the making up. So what does our resident childless English teacher have to say about that? <laughs> I loved everything he said there. Like, And let me just say, it is really delightful to see a high school English teacher portrayed this way. I feel like he's a really good teacher, and the things he says sounds like things real teachers would say. Like, that's, that whole speech, I was right there with him. I'm like, yes. Even like her saying, if you had kids, you would understand. I, I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. And I realize I'm not a parent, but you do. I mean, like when she said that to him, I'm like, lady, who, who deals with more teenage behaviors in a day? <laughs> you know, like <laughs> that, that, that's, he does have an understanding. You can't just dismiss someone's uh, opinion. And I really loved that he saw, and it's really in keeping with his character. Like when he found out that Amber cheated on her Sound the Fury paper, he let her revise it. You know, he seems to have this very compassionate approach to teaching, which is mine as well. So I, I really appreciated that. My gosh, when I heard this, Melissa, I just, in fact, I just replaced him with you. I was like, this is Melissa. <laughs> That's awesome. I was like, this is exactly what Melissa would probably say. It would have been. Yeah. I, I thought it was such a great thing to say. I, I did want to ask you though, Juliet, like, just have, like, does it get complicated knowing what you should and shouldn't say, like to your husband about your son, you know, like as far as, you know, like. Is it his place to say this, though, is I guess what I'm wondering, because I totally think his advice is right, but I don't know that she was asking for his advice. I think that she was more talking about the situation, venting her frustrations. And so that I thought you could speak to better than anyone. I don't know. I think she didn't specify and he didn't ask. And I think that's okay. And if she didn't want to hear it, she could say, yeah, that's not really what I'm looking for. Yeah, it's just a conversation. I don't think it, you know. I didn't feel like it was even a fight when they were like, I guess we've had our first fight. I was like, is that a fight? It was just a conversation where you maybe have a disagreement, you know, like, and like, yeah, like with my husband, obviously like he's a primary parent, you know, I'm a stepmom, he's a father and I take liberties. Like I say what I want to say, but I also know that like, I'm not a primary parent. I guess either way, we wouldn't be making decisions unilaterally in every kind of parenting relationship you're you're in. But I know that like, it's different when you're a primary parent. I totally get that. Yeah. I thought he made his case really well without feeling like he was criticizing her. Yeah. I, I didn't. Yeah. Think, it didn't feel like he was saying, you suck at this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right. just like, it felt like he was just offering his perspective. And I actually thought it was a good fight, air quotes, for them to have. Because especially on TV, like even a couple that is functioning well and is happy with each other are going to disagree yeah. and argue about things. But how do you dramatize that? Because most fights are probably over fairly mundane things. It's only on TV that it's, my ex is back and I'm putting him through rehab. And, <laughs> you know, that's a very TV conflict, even though I thought they portrayed it very realistically. Well. Yeah. It's not a slice of life conflict. Yeah. This is. Mm -hmm. But I thought it was still compelling. I oh, one too. of them has kids, one doesn't. And they have to feel out this exact question. Am I allowed to offer my opinion on how you're parenting 
I thought it was cute how they bumped into that issue and how they resolved it. I thought it was great. I loved that Sarah apologized too because she like immediately got how that must have sounded like dismissive dismissive. And I don't think that was her intention at all. Mm -mm. But I do think sometimes not to make wild assumptions about parents, but I think sometimes there is like this idea that once you have parents, you gain knowledge that you don't have if you're not. And maybe that's true. I don't have them. So maybe I never gained the knowledge and therefore remain in the dark about this. But you know, I sort of bristle when sometimes people will say like, once I had a child, I knew true love. I'm like, I think I know true love. Like, I think I know, <laughs> you know, like, I, I don't know. There's and not- I've had kids and I feel nothing. <laughs> but yeah sometimes there's this like or even when um sarah goes to talk to drew at the end of the episode which is a scene that i loved and i thought it was beautiful and they resolved things really well she even starts that with i'm trying to think of a way to start this without saying someday when you're a parent and i'm like wow she does think he's going to get special knowledge (laughs) when he's a parent and that's maybe why she said that to mark maybe this is something parents think And then I went on a weird spiral through memories in my life. And I remembered being at an in-service at the beginning of a year. And we had brought in this woman who literally said, those of you who have kids are better teachers because you know what it's like to care about the kids or something like that. I was hugely offended and I raised my hand and I made that known. You know, I'm like... There's sometimes this dismissal that happens. And, you know, sometimes I do it to myself. Caleb and I are constantly saying, we're not parents, but but I do I think. Can it be both? Like, yeah. yeah, you gain, you definitely gain some certain insights and knowledge when you're a parent, but you also gain a certain blind spot as a parent in your relationship being completely only a parental one, right? Like, ooh. Yeah. That there are other, that's why it's great if you have that, it takes the village, you know, you get the whole village because the village can offer something that you maybe don't have as a parent. I love that. Well, Melissa, you brought up that second conversation with Sarah and Drew. Let's discuss. I'm studying, so doing good. I see that. Did you, do you need a study break? Okay. I'm not. Amber, okay? You don't have to worry about me in school. I can get the grade up. It's not a big deal. I know that. I'm trying to figure out a way to start the sentence. It doesn't start with, someday, when you're a parent, (laughs) you know you're supposed to protect your kids and take care of them. You're supposed to make sure they eat something, wear clothes. But they don't tell you that there comes a time when you're supposed to let them go and trust them and know that they can make good decisions. I overreacted, and I'm sorry. I trust you. Oh, thanks. And you can see Amy. I mean, you're not allowed to just bribe me with ice cream. Look at this. Look at that chunk. Wow. That is mine, my friend. No, well, you better get in there because look at that. You jealous? I want it. So cute. 
So this felt awfully full house to me. Oh, it did. I didn't, I didn't love the whole scene. Wow. Much better music than Full House. True. <laughs> but, <okay>. True. <laughs> but first of all, I feel like they do tell you about letting go before you're a parent. I mean, <laughs> there's that like old cliche, like it's the only job. You have to work yourself out of it. You mm. know, your job is to make yourself irrelevant. It feels like that's not an uncommon tidbit about parenting. That's so I disagree point. with her inspirational speech. <laughs> And then I also feel like it's kind of irrelevant to the issue. I think the scene would have been more effective if she sat down and cut right to, I overreacted, I'm sorry. Is it because she needed to learn this lesson about letting go? Or was it because she needed to learn a lesson about you overreacted? (laughs) I, I don't know. That being said, I loved that she admitted to that and that she apologized. And I love that it took talking to her younger childless boyfriend to reevaluate the situation. It just felt mature all around. Like she had no ego in it. It wasn't like, well, you know, and I already made the decision. Now I have to stick by it. Like, no, I think it's different. And I also liked that (laughs) Drew said, I'm not Amber. Because in some ways, I think double standards often are okay because there's actually two separate things going on. And like with kids, they're each their own person. If Amber's having trouble in school, it means something different than if Drew's having trouble in school. And I don't think you can just say, this is how I handle bad grades Yeah. with any, any kid. No, you have to evaluate who's in front of you. And Drew, you can just say, Drew, I really need you to bring that grade up. And he's probably going to do it. Amber wouldn't. She's not that type of person. Maybe she needs something different. I think that's the difference between equity and equality, right? Like lately there's been a real push for equity because it's not necessarily the same thing for everyone. It's giving people what they need. Right. You're making me really reevaluate that scene. The ice cream is adorable. I stand by that. Um, I like the scene. It was just really that one when you're a parent. I didn't like when you're a parent. No, that rubbed me the wrong way. I never like when that, yeah. But I also didn't, you're right. I didn't even think about it. But yeah, her lesson wasn't, I need to let you go. It's more like, I should talk to you when something goes wrong. Like Juliet said, you know, have a conversation and like, we can talk about it together instead of me just doling out the punishment. You know, she just kind of came in there all panicked, I think, because her straight A son who's the one she can count on, (laughs) had a D. And I think it just freaked her out. Right. I feel like it shouldn't be just like a, hey, I'm your parent and I'm guiding you and I'm guiding you. And then I'm going to let you go. It's like, (laughs) no, it's like, (laughs) Like a butterfly. Right. Like baby bird. I mean, I think there's like the gradation, like, right. There's like, it's a continuation. It's an ongoing conversation. and, And that conversation changes as the child gets older and they become more a part of it and more invested and they have more of a voice and more of a say and yeah, yeah. and get to make more decisions in that conversation. And that makes me think about recently us seeing Zeke struggling with trying to control Sarah mm. with how she was handling Seth in rehab. You know, he wanted for her own good, he thought, to control that situation. But he did recognize at a certain point She's past the age where I can really have an active hand in this. The gradation is so far. Like, she's in charge of her own life. Yeah. I got to express my opinion. She heard me. There's really nothing else I can do. Yeah. I I do want to say again, in case we didn't specify it hard enough, 
I think it is lovely that Drew is coming out of a shell. And I do think it also makes sense that there'd be a balancing act. Like maybe he realizes, ooh, I have... Like, I think that's something he's pretty smart. I think he could realize that on his own. That which is different from being told, don't see the person you care about the most. I mean, I bet that D embarrassed him and, and shook him up a little bit. He probably reacted that way to his mom because he's probably thinking, I'm already on it. I know I can't get a D on my final report yeah. card. But I, I think this storyline really reminds me what is kind of special about like young love. Like, like they're just so into each other and it's really cute. And I like that they, their conflicts are pretty small so far and they're just like each other so much Their I love you's really got to me too. And I'd made a joke about, isn't it cute when they think they're in love? And I want to make it clear that was a joke. Cause I really do think that you can be in love when you're Drew's age and that just because you become an adult, like we shouldn't discount what ki- like what teenagers are feeling. And I don't think that's something Sarah would normally do. I think that's kind of out of character. And I think it's interesting to note that she started dating Seth in high school because they went to prom together and stuff. They've mentioned that. And so maybe that's scary to her in a way that the show hasn't even dealt with. I don't know. Well, this is maybe an odd scene to end on. But what do you think was happening here. How was your night? Fine. How's Drew? He's in his room. Um, no escape attempts. That's good. No, I was talking about him tonight, you know. Just deliberately defying me. It's so strange. Yeah, I know about that. I'm aware of that. But you know, I don't work here. Okay, I'm not a watchdog. I can't sit out on the porch and keep track of everybody who's coming and going. You know, I have a life at the moment. I got my hands full. I know you don't work here, Mom. But I did figure you'd be home, and I just thought I would ask. I thought you'd ask. Yeah, it's supposed to sound like an ask, but, you know, it sounds more to me like a demand most of the time. It's always a dance with you. Sarah, you know, on the one hand, what you expect me to do for you, help you with automatically, and on the other hand, I'm not supposed to express my opinion about anything. Keep it to myself. You know, I'm getting kind of tired of it, so. What? (laughs) Yeah, I thought that was interesting. Well, I thought, okay, Camille is definitely being real. She's letting it be known. These are my boundaries. You know, I'm not doing this anymore. And I wonder if maybe the situation with Drew, she had her own thoughts and feelings that Sarah didn't want to hear. But then Sarah's also like, watch him and make sure that he doesn't leave. Or could you watch him? You know, and she just says, yes. I don't know how it went down because we don't, we didn't see that scene, you know, but I, th- I thought it was kind of interesting. I feel like I understood what Camille was saying. It just felt like it came out of nowhere, which I didn't totally mind because oddly it felt like real life. Like often when people raise an issue that's troubling them, it comes as a surprise to you because you weren't aware of it until they bring it up. But as a viewer, I was a little confused as to what the point of that scene was. What were they trying to tell us? I would just wondered if maybe they're like, you know, we've got Bonnie Bedelia on payroll and we haven't (laughs) asked her to do much lately. We've got to give her at least a scene or something. (laughs) I didn't even question it, but now that you've brought it up, I don't know why that was in there. That is interesting. Although maybe it was just an attempt to like, point out that even if she sometimes is like a kind of more supporting role on the show, 
she's a fully fleshed out person. And this isn't the type of show where she just is content to be the grandmother and not have a life or a storyline of her own. Like in the previous episode, she was happy to babysit the kids while Zeke really wanted to go to the the launch or whatever. And I like that maybe this is a reaction to that. Like sometimes Camille is fine with just being the grandmother, but there are times when it goes too far, when it's like, you know, when it's not an agreed upon night, like, oh, I'm babysitting. She's like, I'm just living in my house. You live here still. It's been two years. You ever think about that? That when you are out on your fun date, you come home and you're like, how was Drew tonight? I'm not your babysitter. I'm just yeah. living in my home. And I wonder if that, you know, not. That's a good yeah. point. Yeah. I, I never think about that. Camille should be enjoying her retirement. Yeah. And instead she has teenagers living in her house. And of course she's happy to have them there because she loves them. But there would also be some stress in that, I would think. Yeah. I'm supposed to be in a different phase of life. Can you please appreciate that you are impeding on that? (laughs) Yeah, I never really thought about that, but that was just my best attempt to like suss out. And maybe not everything is a storyline, right? Maybe they're just like, we should mention this from time to time, that this was meant to be a temporary thing. (laughs) Now it seems never ending. Well, I did feel like one theme of this episode was how to set rules and enforce boundaries for your children. You know, certainly Joel and Julia with Sydney, Christina with Max, Sarah with Drew, and weirdly, Adam with Rachel. Mm. He does the worst job of anyone. (laughs) And then the Mark issue with Sarah, you know, that was about who gets an opinion about how Sarah is handling Drew. And that maybe is what Camille was raising too. Yeah. if you're going to rely on me, then right. I would like a say. I can't yeah. do the work without having a say. And that's that seems fair. It's. I think what's weird is that we didn't, in this episode, see Sarah asking Camille to do any work. That's true. <laughs> also, the line that did make me go, what? Was, it's always a dance with you. Yeah, I'm like... What are we what are we talking about? <laughs> like, <laughs> like maybe Juliet or or Caleb, maybe just next time I talk to one of you, I'm just gonna work that into the sentence. You'll say something, that, I'll be that like, That makes sense to me. It's always a dance with you. It did make sense to you. Oh, like the yeah, dance. Like a balancing act. Okay. Like, yeah. Oh. oh, you want my help. Oh, you don't. Oh, I, I went too far. Oh, I didn't go far enough. Okay. okay. It's always a sense. dance with you. It's not like a literal waltz. I get it now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't think it was that, but like, I did think it that that line startled me until I guess she explained it and you reminded me of that. But like, just out of nowhere, the music starts and she's like, it's always a dance with you. It just felt very dramatic, but maybe the whole scene was dramatic. It was just a little bit of a question mark to me. Like, what? Yeah. But I liked the episode. I after loved the it. Whole, after the whole arc with Seth, this felt like kind of a reprieve from the major drama. It's interesting that an episode where an employee would kiss uh, her married boss, that would feel like a reprieve. But I think you're right. I know what you mean. It wasn't quite as heavy. I think they'll resolve that pretty easily. I, I think my favorite was just the Sydney. Sydney was, I just enjoyed that whole, I think that was probably my favorite out of all of the stories. Was it your favorite story? Ever! <laughs> <laughs> 
don't know about all that, but it was it was definitely <laughs> definitely a fun episode. Yay! All right. Well, it's always a blast. Yeah, I made all the more fun with you here. Oh, I'm glad I got over my giggles at some point. So I hope <laughs> I, 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 I just I imagine the first. <laughs> 10 minutes I'm incomprehensible for much of it just because I'm so delighted to be hanging out with my oldest friend in the world Yay! since I was four I mean like literally who Gosh. is still friends with someone they met when they were four I just tell you all right please everyone follow us like us love us review us rate us date us <laughs> feed us clothe us Jesus. I don't know. <laughs> Help us. Help. <laughs> That's it. Help us. What's wrong? You can find all our information at parenthoodpals.com. Thank you for listening. And until next time, may God bless and keep you always. And may your wishes all come true.